Good evening. It's an honor and a privilege to be here before you this evening. The Lord led Gail and I to Riverbend uh, actually several years ago when we would come down on vacation. And uh, when we were on vacation, I know how most of us can be as we, uh, we don't go to church on vacation. But uh, we made it a point to find a, a church that uh, we could worship and the Lord led us here. And for the next uh, three years, we would come and uh, be a part of your worship and get to know your pastor. And the next thing you know, the Lord ha- allowed us to move here uh, back in September and become a part of this, this church. Um, as a new member, I-, I want to tell you that there is something very special about Riverbend. Uh, the people... Y'all have embraced uh, Gail and myself and just how you've made us feel so welcome and a part of this fellowship. Uh, I'm not one who likes a large crowd. So this has been an adjustment for me. I came from a small church of about 150. And so uh, we're, I'm doing better. I'm doing better. So... Uh, folks here have just been so welcoming. Uh, I think of, uh, look at uh, Tim and Annie and how they just embraced us and helped us and Sean and Jennifer. So I uh, just want to commend you. Uh, you have great pastoral leadership. Uh, I can't wait to see what God is going to do over these next weeks and months uh, here at Riverbend. If you have your Bibles with you this evening, if you'll turn with me to uh, A very familiar passage, Romans 8, 28. Tonight's message might be a little bit different than what you're used to on Wednesday nights from Pastor Scott. This evening we're going to be looking just at one verse. They were asking me back in the sound area... Do you have a title? Well, I guess everybody needs a title. So I'm going to make it very simple for you tonight. All things. All things. Yeah. Most of us can recite Romans 8, 28 uh, by memory. It's a verse we've learned maybe early on as a young disciple following Christ. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 has been called one of the greatest chapters out of the book of Romans. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it just builds and builds with the, the doctrine and the truth how the Lord redeemed us, how the Holy Spirit helps us to pray, intercedes for us, how the Holy Spirit is applied in our life and salvation. There's so many things that we could try to take apart and look at tonight, but this verse has meant more to me over the years because of the application of Romans 8, 28. Now, some of you this evening may not quite understand the magnitude of this verse. 
But I hope through the end of this message that you will walk out of here and you will be thinking or saying, what a God, what a God we have. When I was in seminary, uh, my professor said that the most misused and misapplied word in the Bible is, we all took a guess and he said the word all, all. So if I was looking at this group over here tonight and I said, why don't you all come over to our house? I would just mean y'all can come over to our condo. You wouldn't fit, but we would find a place for you. Or if I was looking at Sean, I said, would y'all come over? We know that all is in context. And throughout all of scripture, when you look at the word all, you have to see its context. And here we have context. So Paul begins in verse 28, and he says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things. We know something. We know. We know something. We are knowing something. Paul writes this in the perfect tense. The idea that this action has been completed and it's producing results all the way up till today. He's confident. He's saying to us here, we know. We are confident. We have understanding. We have knowledge. This knowing is the absolute positive knowledge which one has beyond a reasonable doubt. It refers to that which is common knowledge to every believer. Every believer should know this. We know. We know this. We're knowing it now. We'll know it tomorrow. This intuitive knowledge which the Holy Spirit makes real in our life God himself has placed this knowledge of this particular verse through the power of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. We know this truth intuitively. We may not always understand it experientially. The words we know are used about 30 times in the epistles. Paul uses the word we know five times. It always is referring to a Christian knowledge. Well, where do we get Christian knowledge from? We get Christian knowledge from the Bible, from God's word. So we know and we have this knowledge of God. Well, what is it that we know? What is the knowledge that we have? What is it that we know intuitively and we're experiencing it? Well, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Someone says we know, but there are times that we don't understand their circumstance. We know, but we don't understand the event. We know, 
but we don't understand the tragedy. We try to figure it out. And we can't understand fully why things happen, but yet there's something we know. And that knowledge is we know that God is going to work it for good. For good. And we know that all things are working together for good. Who is causing these things to work together for good? It is God. He causes, he permits, he ordains, he decrees. There has to be a cause. There has to be a power. There has to be an influence, and we know it is God behind the scenes that is working in all of the events of our life. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, one way in which the secular mindset has made inroads into the Christian community is through the worldview that assumes that everything happens according to fixed natural causes. And God, if he is actually there, is above and beyond it all. That God is just some spectator in heaven looking down, perhaps cheering us on, but he's not exercising any immediate control over what happens on this earth. We know. We know that God is working We may not understand how it is working, but we know he is working. And it says that all things work together for good. What are these all things? It is so comprehensive that there are no qualifications and there are no limits. There are no qualifications. There are no limits. This, the context of this verse does not allow for restrictions or conditions. Let me repeat that. The context of this verse does not allow for restrictions or conditions except for unbelievers. It doesn't work out for unbelievers. It's not going to be well for unbelievers. This verse is for those of us who are followers of Christ. This verse is for us who love the Lord Jesus. This verse is for us that whatever we might be going through in our life, that we know that God has a plan and he's working that plan. I know that um, I don't have a time up here, so is that a good thing? <laughs> okay, there's a, I have to see if there's a watch, so, uh, you know... 
A pastor not having a clock is a dangerous thing, amen? <laughs> you know, when you look at the Bible and you see all of the differing narratives of things that happen, I'm drawn to the evil acts of Joseph's brothers. They were evil. They had hatred. They had murder on their hearts. They, were, they had jealousy. And we know the story. We're familiar with what they did. But yet here in Genesis 50 and verse 20... Joseph's words shout out to us here in 2023 in whatever we find ourselves in or going through. He said, and as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Joseph suffering because of what others did to him. Yet his brothers are culpable. His brothers are guilty. But yet here is the almighty sovereign God working all things for good. For good. For good. We look at Job... And God permitting Satan to test him and his suffering, Job's suffering, was because God had allowed Satan to only go so far. So we suffer because of others. All things happen because of others. All things happen because God may be permitting a test in our lives. All things may happen as a believer you sin. I think of David and Bathsheba and how David sinned, committed adultery, and then murder. God forgave him. He still had to suffer the consequences of his sin. God still disciplined him. Yet in God's marvelous plan, even in the midst of David's failures... God's plan was not thwarted in all things. All things. We live in a fallen world. Bobby had mentioned that I was happily married to Gail. She is my second wife. My first wife passed away from cancer. She had it for about 14 months. I was pastoring full time and uh, we had two children that were grown. And so for those 14 months, I drove a school bus because the bus provided insurance so I could pay for the bills. I continued to pastor continued to care for her. And for those 14 months, there were valleys and there were mountains. And finally, 
the Lord took her home. And I remember two, three days after the funeral, some well-meaning person sent me a card that had Romans 8.28 written in it and said, things are going to get better. Well, at that time, I'll be honest, I took that card up and I tore it up and I threw it in the trash. I, I, I wasn't ready to hear that. And yet, here I am where God has allowed me to look back and say he's worked it out that all things are for good. About 14 months later, it was a Wednesday evening. It was on 9-11. I'd gone to church that evening and we had a good prayer meeting. I came back and I got a phone call about my, my son, 22. He was a senior at the University of Memphis, majoring in engineering, and he was having a really difficult time. Went over and calmed him down as best, best we could, and, and I went home and went back to bed. And 11.30 that night, I got a call. A call that many of you as parents dread that he had taken his life. So we went and we dealt with that funeral. And then Gail, her husband was the music minister at my former church years ago. And they served there about three years and then they left and went on to other things. But they were going into full-time ministry and Gail's first husband was called to a church. And that weekend they went out and got a for sale sign and put it in their garage, getting ready to put it in. And that next Sunday was going to be his first Sunday at a new church leading music full-time. She came home from work and found her husband passed away in the recliner. All things, all things. This Saturday, I will travel to Winter Haven to say some words briefly at my Cousin's funeral, 52. She had been clean for about a year and relapsed, and then she took her life. All things. We live in this fallen world. We're subject to disease. We're subject to all the things that happen because... This world is cursed. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 here that the creation is groaning for that day of redemption. My heart is in Russia. Served there as a missionary for just a year, a church planter. And I'm seeing all of these young Russian men 
who are dying by the thousands believing in lies. All things. All things. Many of you read just recently about the shooter, the young lady who entered into the Covenant Presbyterian School in Nashville and took the lives of three children and three adults. You know, when we talk about sin, there's an element of sin that we oftentimes don't speak of. And that is the violence of sin. Sin is violent. But all things include that God is so powerful that even in the midst of violent sin, God can and does still work. Has to. He's sovereign. I was reading through a blog here several years ago, and I have not been able to forget this blog, and I want to quote to you from this theologian. A question was asked of him Why is the, the Bible so violent? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why, why, is the, why is the Bible so violent? And I was thinking of Judges 19, where the man's concubine, if you remember, was attacked sexually. She died, and then... The man cut her up into 12 pieces and sent her to each of the tribes of Israel to muster revenge. How do you explain that? We're going to have a Bible study and we're going to talk about the concubine that was cut up and sent to the 12 tribes. Doesn't 2 Timothy 3.16 tell us that all scripture is profitable? That means everything that's found in Genesis. That means everything that's found in the Old Testament is profitable. This is profitable. You say, well, what is profitable about this? Well, let me quote the answer. The reason that there is such an abundance of violence in the Bible is because there is so much violence in the world. And so we must ask the ultimate question, why is that? The Bible is documenting what it is, violence. It's not creating what is. It's telling us what is the reality. Sin is violent. People do violent things. And they do violent things because they're sinners. They're sinners. Many times when we portray the Genesis 3 account of Eve offering the fruit, many times portrayed as an apple to Adam and the falling of our 
our first parents. It's oftentimes just looked at and diminished. But folks, listen, it is far, far deeper than that. When sin entered to the world, described as in Genesis 3, one author said this, that is, when God opposing, God rejecting, God disparaging, God demeaning treason against God entered the world. This is sin. Oh, it was just a misstep. Oh, it was just, he had a fault. It was a misjudgment. No. We need to call it what it is. God opposing, God rejecting, God disparaging, God demeaning treason against God entered the world. And there the curse began. And sin began in its birth. And God responded not simply by judging man's emotions and thinking and willing and relationships, but also he responded by subjecting the human body and the entire material and physical creation to judgment, quote unquote. We see sin for what it is as violent. It's heinous, it's horrible. It destroys. One author said, though, and I love this, we are saved through violence. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. Have you ever stopped to think what Revelation 13 and 8 says? There's a book in God's presence before the foundation of the world, and the name of that book is the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. This past Friday, Good Friday, we recognize that day as one of the grossest, most violent, gory events in human history. The crucifixion of the Son of God. If you look at that word slain, it means to slaughter, to butcher, to put to death by violence. There is no salvation without this violence. In fact, the new song that they will sing will reference that violence. In Revelation 5, 9 through 10, it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slaughtered. We use the word slain. One author says that lessens that. Slaughtered. Slaughtered. Your blood was spilt to ransom a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on this earth. God planned to save us through violence by the gruesome death of his infinitely precious son. Amen. Amen. 
He did. And many times we try to clean the cross up. And we try to clean the violence of the cross. And we try to clean the sin up. But the Bible tells us that he was marred more than any man. His image, his visage, Isaiah 52 and 14 says. You couldn't even make him out as they brutalized him. Yes, Christ suffered physically. But he suffered violently because God poured out his wrath upon him. Violence. Yet, all things are working together for good. A father who lost his son in a car accident was so angry. And he came to his pastor and he said, Where was God when my son died? You see, where was God when the shooter entered into the school? The pastor thought for a moment and he responded, the same place he was when he watched his son die. You see, we know all things work together for good but we necessarily don't have that knowledge of what God is doing to make those things work together. But we know he's working together. And it is for us as believers, for our good. Someone has said God proves his sovereignty not by intervening constantly and preventing these events, but by ruling and overruling them so that even tragedies end up accomplishing his ultimate purpose. Someone has said it's not that, it's not that Christians don't drown, but they drown safely. It's not that Christians don't die in car accidents, they die Safely. It's not that Christians don't get cancer. They die safely. It's not that Christians don't get shot. They die safely. God. God is responsible from the start to the completion of your salvation. There's nothing that can rip that from his hands, he has a purpose, he has a meaning for all of these things. Notice in verse 28 it says, all, we know that all things work together. Please underline this, it is a present tense and it's active. It's saying that right now in your life as a believer in Christ, no matter what is coming your way, that God is working in that. I told Pastor Scott when we first shared our testimony of what God had been doing in our life, I said, God doesn't do random. He doesn't. He's a sovereign God. He doesn't do random. He doesn't do coincidences. And this working together speaks of an intimacy. 
this word has a flavor here that means that he's working in our behalf and he's causing these things to work together for our spiritually good. It's present and it's active. Do you realize what this means to us? That means we, when we leave this place, that no matter what we face tonight, no matter what we face tomorrow or the next day, that God is working every single microscopic particle of events that is happening in our life. He's working it for good. For good. For good. Now, this is not a natural synergism. It's where we get the word synergy. It isn't that, well, it's just going to naturally work out. Things are going to work out. Have you ever heard someone say that? Things are just going to work out. Just let them work out. That's not what this is. It is God's providential power who is bringing these things together for a common goal. And what is that goal? Is that each one of us will be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. He wants you conformed to the image of his son. Everything in life is brought in a marvelously divine synergism to come together to accomplish this ultimate end. It's working together. Now notice here, for good, what is benevolent, what is profitable, what is beneficial for you spiritually, what is good for you and what you need spiritually. It is what you need to become more like Christ. It's for your good, your spiritual good. As I was reading through this, I ran across some old notes, and I wanted to share this with you. It says, and it's very interesting. We have to be weaned from this world. And all things do that, don't they? You may be here, and you may have a loved one that is going through cancer. You may be here and have someone that, that is having a drug issue and a relational problem. As a believer, these things God uses to wean us from the world. We need to be weaned from the world. And these things that we go through take off the affections from the world. They teach us the truth about our frail, transitory, and dying condition. They lead us to look to God for support. They point us to heaven for our final home. They produce a subdued spirit. They humble our temper. They increase our patience. They help us to be temper, tender. You know, I've noticed in Florida here, I'm thankful that it's not here, that a lot of old people have mean dispositions. Hopefully, those in my condo aren't listening to this. <laughs> I think, why, why are you, you're, you're old and you're curmudgeon -y. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. You know what all things do? 
They change your disposition. God uses those things to refine your character, to to mold you into the image of his son. You're sorrowful yet rejoicing. Your wisdom increases. These things, these all things that God uses increases your spiritual wisdom. It strengthens your character. And as someone says, the rough independence of the human will is tamed. Our wills have to be tamed. And these things God uses for our spiritual good. Perhaps your fortune is gone. Well, now your eyes are set on eternity. Perhaps you've lost a child. Perhaps he was an idol. Perhaps the tempests of your life have fastened you more firmly to Christ. They're working together. Infancy, life, and old age all enter into the grand scheme of God. And he's producing a spiritual benefit that will be more like his son, conformed to his image. But there's a limited statement here, and there's an exception. It says, and we are knowing that all things God is working for what is spiritually beneficial for us to those who love God. I love what R.C. Sproul said. Paul doesn't use the word believe. Being from Memphis, we are classified as the, the Bible Belt. In fact, Memphis is ta- uh, talked about as the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. Um, I, I remember years ago doing a church growth paper and we had to discover how many churches were in Memphis. Do you know? It was interesting. We took all the churches that were in Memphis, Tennessee, all different denominations, and we brought them together as far as we counted them. Do you know there was a church that averaged every block and a half? Every block and a half was some kind of church where you could go in and maybe find a Bible. But yet, leads in murder, carjacking. Why? Because if you go out on the streets there and you say, well, do you believe in God? I do. I'm doing a survey. Do you believe in God? Well, of course. But that's not what Paul says here. To those who are loving God. It's a present active here. Those who are loving God. Sproul says that Paul is focusing on the fact that the dividing line between the Christian and the unbeliever is not over the issue of simply believing in some God or another, but over the issue of loving God. As the old country preacher used to say, there are saints and then there are the ain'ts. (laughs) He narrows it. 
The profession of faith can be very different from the possession of faith. Sproul goes on to say that there are many who mistakenly identify these two ideas. The word love serves to distinguish those who both profess and possess a saving relationship with Christ. One truly must love God as the Bible defines this love for God. And when we love God, we love his son, Jesus. And when we love God, we obey the son. And only the called love God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. True salvation produces lovers of God. We love God because he first loved us. So if you truly are a believer in Christ, you are going to love God. And you're going to trust him. You're going to trust him even when you don't understand the circumstances. But you know, see, there's the, there it is. You know, you can say along with Paul, we know that God is working all things together for good to make me more like Christ, even though I don't know what it might be that I might be facing. And then he says in verse 28, and I'll close, to those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. Oh, I love this. Called. This is the call of elected grace. This is the call when God elects you and saves you. This is the call where invitation and appointment and selection takes place. This is not prescience. This is not God looking down through the centuries and saying, Oh, I know Pastor Kelly. He's going to choose me. No. It is. It is. God planning and purposing our salvation according to his purpose. He called you, he elected you, he saved you. And there's nothing you can do because when he, you know what, I'm so glad he elected me and I'm just going to say it. I'm so glad he predestined me Man, if it, if it was left up to me, I'm losing it, right? Oh, what a, what a foundation we have. That's why Paul breaks in to this incredible, incredible description of what shall separate us. That's your assignment. You go read the rest of Romans 8 tonight. You know, there's something very interesting here, and I really did some research, and I hope I don't get in trouble with uh, the Old Testament professor here. So. But I want you to see something here about purpose. It's very interesting. A purpose. A plan. That which is planned or purposed in advance. It means a setting forth of a thing. Placing of it in view. 
Isn't that great? That God has called you according to his purpose. He has a purpose. It is placed within his view. He knows what he is doing. And it's very interesting where this word is used or found. And, and you can see me after the service. Exodus 35, 13, Exodus 39, 18, 1 Kings 7, 48, Matthew 12, 4. The purpose is referring to the shoe bread or the show bread. Twelve loaves put on the altar. These 12 loaves of bread were corresponding to the number of the tribes of Israel, which loaves were offered to God on every Sabbath, and they were separated into two rows. They lay for seven days upon the table, placed in the sanctuary or front portion of the tabernacle and afterwards of the temple. This setting forth was in view. God had a purpose for this showbread, just as God has a purpose for your life. Isn't that awesome? He called you according to his purpose. To his purpose. Well, let's close with Romans 31. I've got to read this. It says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Stop for a minute. No matter what is happening in your life, if you are a follower of Christ, God is for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to bring a charge against you? No. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Not only does he choose you, elect you, he intercedes for you. Wow. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Wow. In all these things. That nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. I know that within a congregation this size, and there are those that Pastor Scott has mentioned that are going through cancer or going through some kinds of treatment. Whatever is happening in your life this evening, I, I just want to take a moment and say to you that God can take these things and he can work these things in your life as a believer for good. I'm standing here before you this evening, not in my own strength, 
Not certainly like, oh, wow, he's really a strong person. He's a strong believer. No. I'm standing here before you because of what Jesus Christ has done. And he can do that for you as a believer in Christ no matter what is happening in your life. Remember, he has a purpose and he doesn't do random. Okay? (laughs) He doesn't do random. We may not understand. We not fully comprehend why certain things happen the way they do. My son was raised in a Christian home. I don't know. But I have to trust God that he will work this for my good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that we can rest tonight in your sovereignty. Not only can we rest in your sovereignty, we can rest that, Father, that you are not a God who does random. That there is purpose. There is meaning. There's direction. And there's not a single event that happens in our life that is not filtered through your hands. And as your child, you love us. And you violently put your son upon the cross to be brutalized for our sin. So that sin could be paid for for those that would believe upon you. And here we are this evening. And we are trusting in that sovereignty. That you are going to make us like your son. Even in the midst of what valley we're walking through, no matter how dark it is. That when we come through, that our values and our disposition and our personage and all who we are will be changed and conformed into your likeness. Father, help us to submit. Help us to submit to what you're doing in our life. Help us to understand that the details that are going on are are for a reason and a purpose. And Lord, our desire is to be more like your son, Jesus. And I pray that you would accomplish that in each of our lives. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.